Hi, this is uh, The Big Thought, and I'm joined with Tim Harkness. Uh, he's a sports psychologist, and he's coming out with a new book called The Ten Rules of Talking. Um, and also, we've got Winston Williams here. Um, and we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, Tim now. So, how did you uh, come into uh, doing sports psychology? What was your journey? Were you did, did psychology find you, or did you find psychology? Was it? <laughs> yeah, I... I I think, and, and this will probably come across when I talk about the book as well, I probably got interested in sports psychology because I was quite bad at sports psychology in my own sport. Okay. So um, I, I just remember playing, I'm a squash player, I still play squash, and I just remember when I was 17 years old, I played this terrible, terrible squash match. And I just thought, I've got to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. So th that's probably where it started. Okay. Cool, cool. So, so did you did you actively go out to find the tools necessary or did you just sort of beat yourself up like most athletes do until the point where you <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you know athletes? Do you know I, I'm a I'm a I'm a javelin thrower. I'm the English champion okay. in javelin, so I work oh, wow. okay. in okay. athletics right. for the last I, 10 years. I'd, 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 I'd read that. I, I didn't want to kind of launch, you know, put you on the spot, but okay. Yeah, so I know. So, so we, we can All right. Yeah, yeah. And and javelin, you know, it's it, I, I think it's one of those sports where you don't have a lot of opportunities. So you've got to get it right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've got six, you've got six chances. And uh, okay. the bottom line is there's whatever's on the, on the, on the results on the page. They don't care if you yeah. broke your girlfriend, whether it's windy, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. That's your result. Yeah. And yeah. It can be yeah. quite tough. And especially when you're trying to uh, maintain a positive outlook on things when okay. the black and white saying actually you're not as good as you think you are <laughs> so yeah. it, it, can, yeah. it can build up quite a, a bit of a, a struggle or something it can be a bit of a struggle at times but okay. you know you've just got to make sure you've got a good team around you make sure you're communicating right. with your coaches you know just all the things yeah uh, that yeah you would, that you would expect yeah and sorry not, not to kind of uh, you know but i've never worked with a javelin throw before but i'm guessing the other thing that is difficult is that it's highly technical yes. but it's also a maximal physical effort all at the same time yes it is yeah yeah it's 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 a it's one of those in-betweens where you have to as you said be maximal effort but at the same time remain relaxed as well yeah yeah up at any moment you you ruin mm. the natural path of, of the energy going through your body yeah and it's yeah. the only it's people aren't aware but it's the only uh, track and field of event where you have to run jump and throw so you have to do all three of the major disciplines and combine them okay Perfectly. Okay. You I didn't run. know that. All yeah, right. Because you run, you that run off, <laughs> jump, and then you actually throw. Yeah. Yeah. To, to coordinate all of wow. those things. When a good okay. person, when, so when you see the top guys doing it, it's yeah. like poetry in motion. It's easy. Yeah. 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 It's one of these things where I can describe it till I'm blue in the face. You have to, yeah. it has to, there's, there's a definite tangible element to it. You need to go yeah. out there and actually throw it and see how bad you are at it because most people are. <laughs> and then you realize, okay, yeah. these guys are throwing to the other side of the field. What, how much power, strength, flexibility, coordination, yeah. everything that they need to combine to produce yeah. the result. It just makes yeah. you very aware. You become very aware of the skill involved. You know, that's fascinating because I last year I went to India and I, I was involved in the, the IPL cricket tournament. Yes. And I was amazed that some of the cricketers, technically they don't throw that well. Mm. And I hadn't been expecting that. You know, some of these guys are like the best fast bowlers in the world and you watch yeah. them throw and you think, By you weren't taught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, you get that in in I guess of a lot of um, a lot of events where people just sort of find their 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 way of how their body yeah yeah you get like a good fundamental and then you kind of tweak it to how yeah. you how you personally move because if yeah. you look at all of the yeah. ninety meter throwers, for example, they they all are completely different, but they've all produced these super okay. elite results. Um, right. Bearing in mind, you keep the fundamentals pretty similar. Yeah yeah so. sure <laughs> okay so very interesting sport yes yeah it's very very interesting sport winston have mm. you had any experiences in sport yourself Do you know what? i threw javelin i remember when i was about 16 maybe 15 16 years old i, I was pretty, pretty good compared to the kids in my class but we were thrown like 20 meters i don't think there's anything i want to post <laughs> there right now. Oh, this is <laughs> relatively <laughs> yeah oh. i don't think i've ever thrown a javelin no, really. No, no. No, there, 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 no. there, there have been a few uh, pretty decent South African uh, throwers. Uh, that's right. When there's a woman uh, throwing pretty far still, and she's uh, around the same age as me. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. doing. Yeah. So yeah, tell tell us more about your journey. So if you yeah, you, you've come from being a squash player. Um, that's right. Weren't quite reaching a potential you probably felt, and you were looking yep. for answers to unlock that yes yes so you know i i had a i had a experience like i said at 17 years old i was winning a match um if i won the match i was going to get into a team and um it all just fell apart and i lost the match from a strong position and and i was really angry with myself and and you know looking back it, it took me a long time I mean, it actually took me about 10 years before i really forgave myself for that experience Mm-hmm. And looking back now, I can see that I just didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I thought it was some kind of moral failure that I felt like I wasn't strong enough or I wasn't brave enough or I wasn't tough enough in some way. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I look back and I realize, well, tactically, I was pretty naive. You know, I hadn't been playing squash for long and I hadn't been properly coached or anything like that. So I just didn't really know what to do tactically. And then technically, I had some flaws. And when you have technical flaws, then they're more easily exposed by pressure. And that's, you know, one of the whole points of technique is to have this really solid technique that you can execute even when you're, even when you're nervous. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I was kind of harder on myself than I really needed to be, or I was harder on myself than was sort of fair. Yeah. And, and I suppose that started the journey that ended up with me being a sports psychologist. Um, and then being in psychology, that sort of started the journey that ended up with me writing this book. Um, then in a way, it was a similar process because I also got to a point where I realized, you know, I'm, I'm actually, there are some kinds of conversations I'm not that good at. Mm. And, um, and that's what got me interested in it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because noticing it from myself, especially over the last few years, um, I found that the psychology of everything and how you sort of mentally process your event or your sporting event um, yeah. is, is so important because physically yeah. I haven't actually changed over the last decade. I'm pretty much the same strength, same, yeah. same everything, yeah. but my results are completely worlds apart. That's interesting. Because my understanding of the event, my awareness, yes. everything yes. 
my sort yeah. of capacity to understand that not every result is a permanent fix. Like even if I fail at something, I've got another opportunity to change it with the next throw. Whereas you yes. kind of get obsessed with a series of throws and they have to be of a certain standard. When it's actually, when you look at my event, for example, it's six attempts to okay. get a big throw as opposed to having okay. good, good throws. You know, All so right. if, you get, if you change your perspective on things, it's so interesting how it completely yeah, yeah. Because you think, oh my God, I've got to produce 80 meters every single throw. But then you'd think to yourself, no, it's one, it's six opportunities to throw as far as you can. That's what okay. it is. Yeah. You know? And it's just, it's just that change of perspective that completely unlocks a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the things that have been holding you back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that perspective is so interesting and, and how, you know, how, because I think it's a very natural thing to assume that we have to have six good throws mm. or to assume that if my last throw wasn't good, my next throw is also not going to be good. Yeah. But you know, you're saying you're finding ways to free yourself from that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's been part of the things that's allowed me to say, move on and progress with my technique because you don't get sort of you, you're wasting energy. You know, you're thinking about mm. stuff that you, you could just put to one side and actually say, okay, fine. It didn't quite work out this time. Next time I'm going to do better and just constantly look for that progression. And you yeah. just have to ask yourself, does it serve me to think this negatively about something? And the answer is no. So why? Yeah. Do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that, and to kind of connect that to to the ten rules for talking, that's yes. rule number one is exactly. agree what you're talking for. Yeah, and exactly. you know you're saying in this really practical way, is it helping me to think like this? If the answer is no, well, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, and you know I I do I, so I I think that was one of the things I found about talking is that, you know, what are we having this conversation for? What is the purpose of this conversation? Exactly, and. And a lot of the time we can end up in arguments or, uh, you know, j just having this recurring either drama or stalemate. And we need to be asking ourselves, what are we doing this for? Yeah, because I, I notice this a lot, especially with coaches. Um, you've got sometimes some some athletes will have a combination of coaches, and right. you would you they would often have an impasse of you know people have their various different schools of thought and ideals, um, and how to sort of move the athlete forward. And okay. a lot of the time they they come to a bit of a conflict, and it sort of becomes quite detrimental environment for the athlete. And I often ask myself, what is the purpose of you two working together? Is it to make this athlete the best athlete possible? Or is yeah. it to prop up your ego? And yeah. So, yeah. So to say that I have created this athlete, you know, the, the, first, the first example, it can be very conducive for the athlete because if you're coming from a, a place of wanting to, both people coming from a place that they want to help the athlete, for example, you will find a compromise at, at the end because your goal is to improve this athlete and you will come to the point of realizing that all this arguing isn't really getting us anywhere and you will find a way through. But if one of them is all about themselves and about their ego, it's yeah. going to be completely detrimental because he's thinking, I want to be recognized for X, Y, Z, as opposed to, I want to make this athlete as best as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, this is another question that needs to be <clears throat> asked at the beginning. What are, what's your reasons for helping this athlete? Is it to prop yeah. yourself up and take all the accolades of being the person associated with a successful athlete? Or do you genuinely want to help that person fulfill their potential? Yeah. You know, I, 
I, I think immediately when we start talking about sport, we, you know, it, it's clearly a topic that we both love and it's, it's a topic that we've worked in. And I mean, just what you said about, about javelin that I never thought of before, it's running, it's jumping and it's throwing. Mm-hmm. And I have a mentor who's a, a, a world-class uh, sports scientist, uh, Professor Tim Noakes. Mm-hmm. And I was having a discussion with him once about what is the most fundamental human thing to do? And I said, for me, I believe the most fundamental human thing is throwing. And I think our bodies are built to throw, you know, the way that we can rotate our our shoulders above our hips Mm -hmm. and um, the way we use all of our levers. And there's no other creature on the planet that can throw like a human being can throw. And, and he was saying, no, he thinks it's running. And, you know, and he explained why he thinks human beings are built to run and so on. And I'm, I'm just fascinated to end up having a conversation with someone who runs and throws. And, you know, in, in that most kind of two most essential human things that our bodies are built to do. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about that, when you throw, every single thing that you do has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Your technique, every part has a purpose and there's nothing extra in there. You've, you've taken that all out. Yeah. There's nothing that everything works in synchrony. Everything's working towards one goal. Yeah. And, you know, now you're describing a coaching relationship and you're really saying that should be the same yeah, is that exactly. there shouldn't be any extra baggage that you're carrying. There shouldn't mm-hmm. be things that are working against each other. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be going in one direction. Yeah. And that's the only way the unification, you know, that's the key thing that's, that's missing in society. It seems Yeah, there's yeah. a way forward to make things work. You, you need to have a unified thing. And the same thing again with the javelin, there's six, there's about six or seven movements happening in under a, under a second. And they right. need to all be unified in the exact order for the, for the right. energy to go through yeah. the body and into the implement. And if it's yeah, not yeah. correctly, or there's one part that's not missing, that's not quite there, you're going to lose a massive amount on the distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's the same with, with a lot of other sports. And it's, it's, it's just one of these things where yeah. you recognize the sort of importance of... I'm kind uh, of a, drawing the parallels, uh, Tim and Gavin, where you're saying the, about the javelin that you're using all these different uh, techniques and you're putting them together in one second. And Tim, you said that you, you've got better by studying psychology and these things that you've kind of... The way I see it, because I've seen it in my work, is all these different lessons you learn, you kind of put them together and you become better at speaking to people, you become better at uh, putting your point across. And I'm, 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 yeah. I'm seeing some parallels there about learning these different yeah. skills and then putting yeah. it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Go I, I just think the javelin is an amazing metaphor for other things that we need to be good at in life. Yeah, yeah, could you could say that. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. Um, you just, it's just, it's just one of these things where you just have to marry everything perfectly together and then mm, you just get mm. an amazing result. And yeah. everything is in line because you, you, again, with the, with the event, you have to separate your upper body from your lower body and create this sort of stretch reflex across the yeah. torso and across the sort of shoulder um, to create the result. So even though okay. your, legs, your legs may be facing uh, okay, right. head, yeah, yeah. body, I can see that. Head, and you know, you need to coordinate everything together. So it's a very, very complicated sort of event and think the closest okay. thing to it is a fast bowler for example and yep. uh, this is similar sort of movements right but yeah yes. you know so so as as i've grown with this event and learned it because i've come from a background of martial arts uh, contact sports team sports all sorts of okay. things like that and then i went straight yeah. into decathlon uh did that badly for a few years 
then ended up doing the javelin and okay. yeah it's been a quite a journey and it's 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 just interesting how your perspective completely changes over the years when you start to understand how you know just like all the things i've said you know the the fact that each time you do something it's not necessarily a failure you're learning from the experience and you've got to be aware to be able to take that on and not just mm. use it in a negative way and blow it out of proportion and have all of these sort of cognitive distortions and just completely miss the whole point of what you've the, the point of a lot of the, the things that you're doing yeah so, yeah and in a way you know that's what i was trying to do with talking mm. is take something that most of us are good at most of the time. Yeah. But we're not all good at it all of the time. Yeah. And just try and start to understand that part of it that for starters, I wasn't good at, you know, I, I wanted to understand where was I, where was I going wrong in those conversations that, that, uh, that were just kept on cropping up again and again, you know, whether it was at work or at home or, you know, maybe talking to a friend about some social issue. Um, I just wanted to gain a better understanding of that. So yeah. that's really what started my journey into, you know, the, the world of, of talking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when, so as, as you say, you know, it, it, it's as, I think journeys so often have a lot in common that, that we, we need something, we want something mm. and we have to be prepared to gradually learn and pick up information. And, um, well, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, all, and it's also about the language that you use, for example, is, is my coach gets really upset with me sometimes because sometimes I work with other coaches, which isn't the problem. Um, okay because sometimes I feel like I just need a change of environment at times because my group is mixed with lots of other types of athletes. So I'll okay. sort of find a javelin only group just to get that. Sort okay. Of right. Yeah, yeah. up. And he would be explaining stuff to me in a particular way. He's from Poland. So he's got a different way of describing stuff at times. So he will yeah. say stuff to me and then an English coach will say the exact same thing, but use different words. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And then I go back to him and I'm like, Oh, you never guess what he said this. And he's like, he just like you know loses his shit and he's just like you know i've been telling you this for the last year and you're like oh yeah it all depends on how you say something and the timing of it all and just it's just so uh, particular at times yeah yeah so yeah and what you say is so you know and that's one of the kinds of conversations that we have Mm -hmm. is a learning conversation Mm mm-hmm and, you know, I've got a list of five kinds of conversations that, that I think covers most of what we do. And, and that's the one is it's a learning conversation. And I think with learning conversations, the, the, the one thing that you've got to get right is to recognize when it is a learning conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, let's say, for example, I, I'm talking to someone in the street and I'm asking the person for directions to the train station. That is a pure learning conversation. And I do not know where the train station is. Hopefully the other person does. And it's quite simple in that there's transfer of information that's happening. And I want that information. And I'm not, it's no more complicated than that. But it's not often that a pure learning conversation is as uncomplicated as that situation. Because as you say, sometimes ego gets involved. That maybe, you know, imagine if I walked up to someone and said, uh, can you tell me where the train station is? And they start telling me, I'm going, oh, what, you think you know more than me? 
And, (laughs) you know, but but essentially when ego gets involved in a learning conversation, that's that's what's happening, as ridiculous as it may sound. Yeah. The other thing that can go on with a learning conversation is that somebody may come and ask me for my opinion on something, but I don't realize how much they know or I don't realize what they know. So that would be another obstruction in a learning conversation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for example, it would be quite wrong for me to, I'm a sports psychologist, so obviously I know something about uh, pressure, but mm. when we talk, it's not a one-way learning conversation Yeah. because you also know a lot about this. Yeah. So I've got to be sure that I'm learning from you as well as hopefully having a perspective of my own to share. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that's part of the one kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone processes pressure in a different way and there are a number of different. Yes. yes. And unless I learn yeah. about you, mm-hmm. then I can't, uh, well, first of all, unless I learn about you as a person, but secondly, I've got to learn about your sport because yeah. I don't know that. Exactly. And then clearly I've had my own experiences and, and may have some things to share there. So Yeah, because I had, you know, because I, I remember when I was in my early days, um, I've never been in complete, uh, I've never really been nervous to compete, but at times when the pressure gets up, I always found myself yawning a lot. And then yep. I was looking into this sort of research about it yeah. and I saw that a lot of soldiers, when they're just about to go into battle, they get this yeah. sort of lethargy or they just kind of start to yawn and stuff like that. And it's just very interesting how you, your body kind of just gets to a point where it's just too much and then ends up just sort of going down a bit. Yeah, and then yeah. I'd have to like drink about five Red Bulls to get myself back up again. It was just like... <laughs> yes, yes. So, I, I, I've um, had that as well. When I was uh, around the time I met Gavin, it was probably about 20 years ago or so. Um, okay. I was working in a retail store. Um, knew nothing about conversation, knew nothing about, you know, transaction between people. And I remember I suddenly had a position where I was kind of uh, in a supervising position. Okay. And when you talk about that, a lot of conversations and learning conversations, yeah. and I remember you know, I was working with some young people, I was the youngest, and, it, and when I look back on it, I can see all the conflicts were completely based on ego. You know, I knew some stuff that I needed them to do, and they had some stuff they needed me to do, and every, every uh, conflict was just about you know, me thinking that I knew, and why don't they want to listen, and them thinking we know, and why don't he want to listen. Yeah. And yeah. now, you know, look, with all the skills I have now, looking back, it's yeah. so clear how yes. that was it was an impossible yeah. place that would never have solved itself it needed the egos to get out and people to you know just learn from each other right so. okay yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know just like you said you know we need a, an environment that that's safe respectful you know and all of those things for yeah. us to really get our messages across without feeling that we have to include our ego for defensive purposes yeah, and yes. all sorts of things like that to protect ourselves. Cause we feel like we're under threat or someone's undermining yeah. our, our knowledge or our intelligence or something like that yeah. to remove those elements for us to really have a truly open conversation. Yeah. You know, something I used to say about sport is that the human body can, can execute a, a technical skill mm. and the human body can express emotion. Mm. Human body is really good at expressing emotion. I can show that I'm angry. I can show that I'm upset. I can show that I'm anxious. I can yeah. do all of these things, but I can't do both at the same time. Yeah. I can't express mm. a sporting. I can't do a sporting skill and express emotion at the same time. Mm. And Winston, what you're saying, I can learn and I can look after my ego, but I can't do yeah. both at the same time. Yes. Yeah. 
Precisely, yeah. And then that comes back to that rule one, what are you doing this for? Because sometimes I need my ego to be looked after. Yeah. You know, I'm a human being. I need to feel good about myself. So sometimes I need to be taken care of. And sometimes I need someone to come to me and say, Tim, you know, I, I care for you. I respect you, blah, blah, blah. I need that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Everyone needs that just to, to get them through to make sure that that everything that you've done is sort of worth it in a way so that or yeah. have made a mistake that you need to remind yourself that there is another chance. Because a yes, lot of the time yes. you get into yes. this mode and you go into it, it's very easy to slip into a downward spiral yeah. and take this pain that you're feeling, this pain response as a fact, as a permanent state, when in yes. actual fact it will pass. Yes, that's where um, it was actually another part of your metaphor, Gavin, where you said that, you know, you have six tries and only one of them needs to be good. They don't need to be good every single time. That's another thing with like, I have a lot of conversation in my work and it's very much built on relationships. But, you know, you can have a bad day. And if you're afraid that that one bad day is going to completely destroy the relationship, it's not true. You know, you can try again and again and again, and yeah. over time, you build a relationship. So, exactly. Yeah. I'm really liking the javelin metaphor again. So. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you've, you've got to, I think that comes with maturity and age. Like, you know, I was interviewed by England Athletics a few, uh, well, a couple of months ago now, and they were saying, because I'm um, in sort of the veteran age group now, um, that if I started a javelin a lot earlier, would I, you know, would I have been more successful or had a longer career and I said to him probably not because at that age in my early 20s I wasn't mature enough to handle all of the things that I can handle right now yeah. so these things happen at the right time like I, I believe you know there was a lot going on in my life there's lots of lots of things going on and I don't believe that I would have been able to or I had the capacity to really process everything in the way that I needed to and I probably would have burnt out a lot quicker yeah. I, would, I would have just, you know, not been able to succeed immediately and then jumped onto something else. Whereas as an older person, having lived a little bit, I can see that, okay, one failure, because I've had many failures, it doesn't define you. You've got an opportunity to move yeah. forward. What a lot of people, yeah. sports people need to realize that is that's not part of your identity. The, uh, the things that you need to take from that is that you don't give up. You keep going. That's your identity. Somebody that keeps trying. And that's something that's a lot more positive and, and, more helpful and reinforcing to a person than to just focus in on the fact that you didn't get the result that you were planning to get you know yeah. you've, you've learned something from that even through that process okay you've tried xyz that didn't quite work so now let's try a different combination you've still progressed you've still made some sort of movement forward yeah yeah, yeah. and you know and and that kind of leads into the second kind of conversation which is a conversation just about emotions that sometimes we do need to talk about emotions and sometimes we do need to talk about our egos because, you know, we, we all need to feel respected and loved and, and worthy. Um, and I think sometimes people talk about the negative side of ego, which is where I'm walking around thinking that I'm better than other people. Um, and, you know, that, that's not a healthy place to be. But often people end up in that place because they feel that they're not worthy. And our own worthiness or our own uh, our own significance and our own dignity um, I, I think are are very valid topics of conversation very much so um, and you know what you're saying Gavin about you know you you've done a bad throw well that doesn't affect my worth 
It doesn't affect my sense of dignity. You know, I made a mistake. So what? But I think sometimes you can be in a place where you feel like that mistake impacts on your worth or your dignity. And yeah, it it comes down to that thing where people define themselves by what they do as opposed to who they actually are. And once you you define yourself, do you're in a very sort of a delicate situation because once that yes. thing what you do yes. doesn't quite work out it hits yourself yep. massively so and variable whereas if you are just who you are and i as a person who throws the javelin and look at it from a, again a different perspective yeah. you have that self-worth in the bank is there and yeah. what you do is just a result you're just you love to throw you love to do whatever you love to do yeah yeah you are who you yeah. are is who you are and yeah. those come from different qualities like your your ability to love to respect you know all those types of yeah, yeah. Types of things you need to be more at peace with those types of things as opposed to defining yourself as a job or a, or a sporting event because once you do that you're you're letting your self-esteem just go out into the wind and it's just like yeah. to any whim you know you're putting yourself in a very dangerous position yeah and you know like I said, when I was 17 years old, you know, I had a bad squash game and, and 30 years later, I'm 47. I'm still playing competitive squash. And I, and the longer I play it, the more I just love it, you know, and the more I'm just grateful. Like every time I step on the court, I'm just grateful. And then as it happened, the last match that I played, I think it was on the 8th of February, I tore my calf muscle. And it's the first tear I've ever had in 47 years. Mm. And and then as it happened, then the lockdown started and I haven't played squash since. I haven't played squash for four months. And it just kind of vindicated my attitude that every time I stepped on, I was just like, well, this could be the last time, you know, and I'm just going to play it as if it is the last time because I just love it and I'm glad to, to have this opportunity. Exactly. That's the whole thing. You need to enjoy each experience that you have and not yeah. make it the be all and end all of everything. It's, you know, a lot of the people, because I um, was fortunate enough to have talks with a lot of former Olympic champions, and okay. they would always emphasize the importance of having something outside of the sport. Because I've yeah. been giving a bit myself over the years of just getting so obsessed, like that movie Whiplash, if you don't know if you've seen it with the yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was him. You know, I was breaking up with girlfriends because they didn't understand my superior goal. You know, I was doing all sorts of things. I was getting myself into such a crazy situation and mental Mm. state that was Mm. obsession. And then my results weren't getting any better. I was putting all this pressure on myself. Nothing was going in the way I wanted to. And then it just got to a breaking point where I was just like, you know what? This this is not healthy right now. And I just had to yeah. take a step back and change things. And then the results started coming through. I started writing, I started exploring other areas, doing more okay. art, you know, and you just become a fuller person because what you're doing yeah. is you're putting yourself into an absolute position. And human beings aren't absolute. We're relative. Yeah. We connect <clears throat> lots of other things. And when you start to isolate yeah. yourself like that, is when the problems start to start to come through. Because mm. everything, all your self-worth, everything that you know about yourself is riding on one element in your life. And that is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and the tough thing about your sport is that that is a number. Mm. It's a, you know, if, if you play, like, you know, even if, if I go and play a squash match or if I, I, you know, it's hard to tell exactly how well I played. Mm. Whereas, because maybe the guy was good, maybe he was bad, whatever. Mm. But for you, you throw that javelin and you get a number. And it's down to a decimal point. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. Because there's, 
you know, in a way, it can almost feel like there's no room for maneuver. Yeah, it's it's a different type of competition because I've I, I, again I've played squash for my university team and tennis and all okay. that stuff. So okay. I've done all this yeah, yeah. you can think of. And when I go back to playing tennis, which I did recently, it's mm. it's a different type of com- competition because when you're yeah. throwing when you're doing athletics, you're literally competing against yourself. You put yeah. all of this time, knowledge, and everything, and you're there on display for those six yeah. throws. And that moment, whereas when you're playing a game like tennis or football or any other sport, you, what you do has a direct effect on your opponent and vice versa. And so it's a different type of mentality you have to sort of get yourself into because there's no one on the javelin that can stand in front of me or punch me or push me to put me off. It's just me mm. and me mm. only. Whereas with tennis, with squash, there's elements and things that you can do to gain an advantage in different ways and yeah. it's, it's interesting how you have to change your mindset because when I start playing tennis I find it very difficult to imagine myself throwing again it's very strange like I just feel like my movements and really? how I'm competing that, oh, and the mindset that I need to get myself into is a bit different because when I'm playing okay. tennis I'm like okay I'm going to look at him in a particular way you know there's all sorts of yeah yeah, yeah yeah they put them yeah. off and all sorts of ways you can play and just play really <laughs> yes. horrible shots to put him under pressure I'm, there's all sorts I'm of sure things you guys that directly uh, do i'm sure you guys have some experience with this I, something i read in psychology was to do with um it's actually to do with tennis players the way you can put a tennis player off before a match yeah. is to ask them how they perform a particular movement yeah, the yeah, movement yeah. that they've got so uh, it's, it's they don't think about it anymore. But it's like, so how do you do that? And yeah. I mean, you know, Winston, really, my dad up. gave me that exact piece of advice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's good because what happens is because a lot of what we do and the reason why we practice so much is for it to be reflex. So if you look at the great tennis players like Steffi Graf, every yeah. got like maybe four or five different shots, but she gets herself into position every single time to play that perfect backhand. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. You do it to a point where it's reflex. And then when you put that into a person's head of the mechanics mm. of the movement, they're, all, they're thinking too much. And then it starts yeah, and, reflex. And that and, moment, uh, split second, yes. is different. And if I can just seize on that, because, you know, we, we're talking about this notion of, of reflex and then having something in your head. Mm. And that, that's... That's part of us as human, you know, so I keep coming back to this notion of what does it mean to be human? And, you know, it's human to run, it's human to throw. Mm. And it's also human to have this weird split between doing things automatically and doing things deliberately. Yeah. And there are times when we need to be automatic and there are times when we need to be deliberate. Yeah. And we actually have to embrace both sides of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, that as a javelin thrower, when you get this number, it's almost too easy to be deliberate about it. Mm-hmm. That you go, well, this is an 82.76. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a this or that's a that. But you, you can have this very conscious, very analytical approach to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe what you need is a more intuitive, creative way of understanding yeah. the throw. Yeah. But at other times, you know, when you're talking about something else, Maybe you're using a creative approach, but you should be using a deliberate approach. Yeah. And, you know, th- th- that's something, you know, if, if you talk about playing tennis, we've got this creative and we've got this deliberate side and we've got it in conversations. We've got it in daily life as well. And we've we got to use both. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because, you know, what the brain does is like with how they 
programmed sort of basic artificial intelligence is that you've got a particular movement and pattern and the brain sort of recognizes that. And then when you give something slightly outside of that, it uses the okay. same connections, but okay. sometimes the result isn't the same so that you can yeah. get it wrong there. So yes. it will do something just to speed up the process, but sometimes, and that's where a lot of cognitive distortions come into play where you kind of, your brain just goes boom, 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 boom. So it must be this yeah. it's similar yeah. to something else. And that's yes. and this is where the problems come into. So you, that's where the deliberate part needs to come in. You need to be yeah. aware and be able to remove yourself from that automatic process because the brain doesn't always get it right. So you need to be yeah. able to recognize when it's time to remove yourself from that sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. And that comes in, say, like the wind may be a bit different because you've got a lot of competitors, for example, who throw just one way because their okay. reflex is telling them and then what okay. they do is when it doesn't work they throw even more like that yes, one. Yes, they go yes. harder faster okay. yeah yeah that's going to be the answer and the reality the same. Is, yeah. yeah the reality is they need to change your position you need to change the angle you need to change your body you need to go slower you need to be more controlled you need to be more deliberate as you said okay. with your movements and understand yeah. the sequence of what's going through because like for example last year I had a very similar situation where the, the weather was terrible up in Manchester, as it always is, invariably is. Uh, so torrential rain. My family are from Manchester, by the way. So I'll, I'll tell them you're saying bad things about the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, the, the rain was pouring down. It wasn't particularly nice uh, wind either. And all of us were throwing pretty badly. Um, okay. But I was, I'm because i'm quite experienced i was able to throw in different ways or understand different ways so you got younger competitors who are very very talented who are extending their run up going faster and faster and faster okay. and the javelin was coming nearer and nearer and nearer it's right. one of those sports where the harder you try the less distance you're going to get yeah yeah. You know, he's going harder and harder and harder and he just wasn't away he wasn't able to get off that loop he was just going round and round in his head okay i gotta go harder i gotta go and then what I did was I did the absolute opposite. I halved my run up, decided wow. to be deliberately more controlled. That's a bold decision. Yeah, I, 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 I could, because I've got the experience and I understand yeah, what yeah. I needed to focus on. And what I needed to focus on is make sure that I'm hitting my positions as, as yeah. best as possible in, in a controlled manner, in a very deliberate manner. So I okay. halved my thing and then I ended up throwing four meters further than everybody else in that, in that competition. Sure. Not okay. because I'm better than everybody else, because their personal bests were better than mine, some of them. But I was just able to recognize that I needed to come away from what my reflex was and actually do a deliberate... Okay, right. It's kind of a technical advantage in a way, right? Yeah. And this is the, and this is the thing. A lot of... This is where sort of sports psychology really helps a lot of athletes because a lot mm. of you... I'm sure you've come across it. Lots of people with physical attributes to die for. But for some reason, it's not quite clicking. And you need to be able yeah. to understand how to unlock that and sort of say to them, look, you can't just go full blast every single time. You need to actually be aware of the things that you're doing so that you can actually progress in a way. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that thing of going full blast, I, I, I just think, I think one of the reasons why so many people love sport is because there's so many lessons to learn from it. Mm. And I mean, that's something that can happen in a conversation as well, is when a conversation's failing, we just want to go full blast in the conversation yeah, yeah. and we just want to go with our reflexes. Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't always turn out so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's an idea that, we are, that we're, as human beings, we're, we're, we are goal-orientated. We have uh, something that we go after and like sport is the ultimate uh, yeah. situation. 
where you have something you have to go after and you yeah. use everything you can to go after that point. And, and I think that's why everyone resonates with it because it's precisely yes. what we've, we're designed as human beings to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and the funny thing is, because it is so true, I mean, all of us as sports fans or athletes, you know, I mean, I can remember watching matches. You know, I've, I've got a friend who's a, he's a professional squash player. And mm. I'll be, I'll be what, but he plays in the US. So sometimes I'm watching matches late at night and I'm sitting in bed with my laptop and I'm jumping around in the bed and waking up my wife. And, you know, just because I, I'm so, I'm so kind of interested in whether he's winning the next point or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we're very goal directed. Yeah. And it's we that- kind of, we need to learn to take a step back sometimes as well. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's one of these things that evokes so much emotion. And once you've attached that emotional sort of thing to it, yeah. it help yeah. but sort of live it, you know, you once you start to care through your friend in that respect, you know, cause you, you know what that feeling is, yeah. you know, how, yeah. what it's like to be on yeah. the court and when the stakes are pretty high, yeah. you know, you just, you can't help it. And that's what's the yeah. See these great athletes do these amazing things. You just know how high the stakes are and how much it means and how much control it takes to still maintain all of that technique and you know yeah. watching you. Yeah, and you know I I think I mean I I I love hearing about I love listening to athletes talk. You know I, I love hearing athletes tell me what they do and you know just hearing you describe those those six things that have got to happen in a jab and throw. Um, you know, in a second, that's absolutely fascinating to me. And, and the one thing is, sadly for me, I, I'm never going to experience that, you know, that, that that's just, unfortunately, that's just not going to happen for me. So the best I can do is sort of experience it vicariously and yeah. watch and, you know, and, and I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be watching this, you know, I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. look on YouTube. I'm going to, what are those six steps and can I see them? Can I watch them happening? And you know, the point that you're making about how you got to separate the top half of your body from the bottom half of your body. I never thought of that before, but now you say it, it's really clear to me, you know, and, and that's fascinating and that's interesting. And it kind of relates to other athletes that I've spoken to say, so you've got to do different things with different parts of your body at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, so, you know, that is amazing. And then I think a question we can have about our daily lives or about our emotional lives or about our talking is, well, can I improve? Can I get better? You know, that, that I've been me for, you know, however many years, and this is how I do things. Can I actually get better at conversations? Can I have a better conversation within my family or with my boss? Or, you know, I, I think that's one of the big questions is, <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it does boil down to exactly that. What questions you ask yourself, what, you know, you've got to sort of change your angle at sometimes to right. come up with the best questions that will give you the answers because that's what our brains are. They're, they're problem-solving machines. They've yeah, problems. yeah. So you need to... I kind of... Uh, go on, yeah. I'm looking at, looking at when you're saying that you won't get to experience it. I feel like the, the way Gavin is describing the javelin, I feel like I experience that in the work I do. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of... It's, it's very much about relationships. It's very much about talking to people. Um, and, you know, over time, you start to learn new skills, new ways to speak to people. And then it is, it is about putting all those skills you've learned, putting them together. Because yeah. when you have like a bad transaction with someone, you can, you can feel it immediately afterwards. And often you know exactly what you did wrong. And okay. so, okay, I need, to, I need to fine-tune that. And then it is, you get better at speaking to people. And, you know, I, I, I really resonate with that metaphor about the javelin because I can see yeah. where I've been 
speaking to people in the past. And now I leave almost every transaction with a really good feeling, knowing that I've said the, the right thing, done the right thing. Maybe it could have been better. And also when I've made a mistake, I can almost always pinpoint exactly what I yeah, did wrong. And that's so valuable. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- it's, it's about ownership, taking responsibility for the things that you've done and being aware of that stuff so that you then in future you can make those improvements um, yeah. and actually become more efficient if it's need be or use different language because it is so important the things that you say and how you say it and the tone and all the rest of it because you pick up on all of those different things and yeah. it sets off a different chain reaction within the person and has an effect yep. on the environment that you're in and it can affect exactly. your ability to learn something you know it can change everything completely just even from a simple greeting if you said hello to me and i went yeah i'm all right compared to yeah i'm doing great all of a sudden you're feeling a little bit better about yourself because yep. i've yeah. given you that energy it's tiny little things like that that just completely make a complete difference to people yeah you know, talking about greetings, that was something. So I, I lived in South Africa for the first 37 years of my life. And then I moved to this country. And I didn't realize how culturally different this country is. Mm. Because one of the things in South Africa is that you, it's polite to not initiate a greeting to your superiors. Okay. So if someone, if you want to show respect to someone, you walk into a room, you don't say hello to them you wait for them to say hello to you. Oh, okay. But in this country, it's totally different. Yeah. Because if you walk in a room here and you don't say hello to someone, they're like, you know, this guy's rude. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and then even in in more sort of um, in in, in other situations, eye contact, you know, where I come from sometimes, eye contact is considered to be disrespectful. Mm. Um, So if you're talking to somebody, you shouldn't look them in the face. Um, whereas here it's considered to be if you don't look at someone it's, it's kind of dismissive yeah um, it's, it's interesting how culturally we have different interpretations yeah from, yeah you know various different channels Is there, have you read a book by Malcolm Gladwell um, he talks about the uh, Sandra Bland case the, uh, no I, I've read a few of his books I haven't read that, that one there's a book called Talking to Strangers really really okay. just uh, something you point out there where you know <clears throat> Sandra Bland she got shot um <clears throat> She got shot in custody or in actual uh, uh, stop by the police. But it was a case of where the police officer just couldn't, simply couldn't read her body language, which, you know, analyzing it afterwards, all of us would be able to very clearly see what happened. But in the situation, he was young, he was a relatively new police officer. And, you know, he just couldn't read any of the body language and it ended up with this girl being uh, killed. So it shows how important, you know, understanding these, uh, like you just explained, culturally in, in one place to another, it can be very different. And I've also yeah. I've lived in three different. I've experienced that, and uh, okay. you know, going to a, a, what, what a are the different countries where, you, where you've lived? I've lived in uh, the UK. I've lived in England, London. I've okay. lived in Denmark, where I live now, and I've lived in Poland, Warsaw. Um, okay. I remember going okay. to a wedding in in Denmark uh, about fifteen years ago, and you know, everyone's in their suit. It was it was summer. It was really hot, and I was just beginning to take my jacket off, and everyone's yeah. like, "No, no, 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 no!" Oh, really, you really. Do that. <laughs> you can only take your jacket off when the groom is taking his jacket off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, wow, okay. I didn't know that. But yeah. It was really respectful at that point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. So going back to your book, let's go through the 10 steps um, okay. of your book and okay. uh, we'll talk okay. about each, each one. All right. So, so the first one that we've probably covered quite a bit is agree what you're talking for. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that let's just have clarity about that. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean is that sometimes... <clears throat> You know, you don't have to do this all the time because 
sometimes we're just having a nice conversation and then the conversation flows and it's natural and it's automatic and you know it feels good but but other times for example in that coaching conversation what is the objective of this conversation and that can be useful to to clarify and you know just to to link it to something uh topical um dominic rob uh, the foreign secretary uh, yesterday he he said to the media for him taking a knee is an act of submission and he thinks it comes from game of thrones and now my question to him apart from all of the others is what are you saying that for yeah what what is the point of that sentence yeah because it didn't just pop out of your head yeah i'm interested to know what was his objective and then he yeah. tried to make it a joke and he tried to say this and he tried to say that but you know ultimately to me the first problem i have with that statement is i want to know what he was saying that for and mm. i'd like him to explain that to me so yeah. you know so sometimes we don't need to have a, a tough conversation about what something is for but mm. until he's actually explained what he said that for mm. i don't think we can really say anything more useful about the the statement yeah yeah, yeah exactly so you know that, that that's rule number 1 is just establish clarity. Yeah. Rule number 2 is that accepted agreement takes skill and effort. Mm-hmm. And you know if Winston I'm I'm with you 100% on this this javelin metaphor it's brilliant. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to use it again and okay. and that is that you know if you take that you throwing a javelin in Manchester in the rain mm-hmm. you accepted the throwing a javelin in the wind and the rain is difficult. Mhm. So you were not thrown because you accepted the difficulty. The others did not accept the difficulty and that's what caused the problem. The problem was not the difficulty, the problem was that they had not accepted the difficulty. Yeah. And I think conversations are the same. Some conversations are really difficult. Yeah. But we don't that's not a problem because human beings we good at solving things. We good at we good at striving, we good at persisting. we got to be motivated but first we have to accept that it's difficult exactly and, and through, through not accepting they've put themselves in a fixed state so they're not able to adapt yeah yeah yes yeah. so you know that that's really rule 2 yeah um and then rule 3 to be honest was a big one for me mm. that i used to think when i disagree with someone i used to think the reason why i'm disagreeing with this person is because they're wrong in some way Mm. and and maybe they they they're not quite as clever as me or maybe they're a bad person in some way you know th- that used to be my first explanation so if i find myself in disagreement my first explanation used to be what well, is the other guy's fault and and eventually i had to get to a point where i i had to challenge myself that when i disagree can i explain this disagreement without attributing it to some negative quality of the other person. Mm-hmm. So that's rule 3 is remember that most people are good, competent and worthy of respect. Yes, of course. Yeah. Even when we disagree. Yeah. Because even when that disagreement you can find some sort of resolution because you may as combined from both sides you come up yep. that both of you don't quite aware of through yes. that. Yes. Yes. and yes. this is where we you know you go back to your first point you need to agree what's the purpose of this conversation yeah, yeah. if yeah. you agreed that both of you want to improve 
and it's not an ego thing for a, a sort of a battle yes. for superiority, then yes. you'll find you often you'll find a great a better solution than both of you working together. But if one yeah. of you has an ego about being superior, then it's doomed. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think yeah. something something with with that point uh, is that <clears throat> sometimes you know, if, especially if you're more articulate than somebody else, that sometimes you need to help the other person to get their argument out. And if you if you give them that respect that okay. maybe they're not wrong, then you'll actually help them to to you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, you got to, yeah, and that, that comes through each person being aware of each other, each other's um, barriers, and mm-hmm. understanding that maybe there might be a, la- a language barrier because he may not be from here and he's speaking a different language. So the way right. to describe things may not be exactly to your thing, but you need to have that patience and understanding to be able to sort of work your way through. And that again comes back to the point one: what's the purpose? Are you do you yeah. really want to get to the bottom of this problem, or are you there for? Yeah, other- yeah, no? yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And and Winston, you know, if and and I think maybe rule four, which is talk fast and slow, which is that automatic and and creative, we, yeah. we probably covered that quite well. So, but let's just jump to rule five, which is keep the conversation safe. And Winston, you know, the point that you're making is that sometimes if someone isn't quite as confident or articulate as you, then you've got to help them, and that's keeping the conversation safe. Yeah. Hundred percent. You know, everybody's got a responsibility in that in that interaction, to to make sure that everyone feels feels in in a safe and able to communicate and put their point across without yeah. fear of being ridiculed or judged. Well, it also it helps the other person to understand that you value their opinion if you try to help them to bring their argument out. You know, you're not yeah. just trying to put it; you're actually trying to argue with them. Yeah, yeah. You know, just yeah, you got to make that uh, that environment that it's a level playing field. Uh, yeah. Because if you try to elevate yourself or in the opposite way, uh, make yourself smaller and elevate mm-hmm. the other person, you're not really going to get the best exchange, I don't feel. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've got a friend and when I'm with him, I feel clever and funny. Mm. And, and it's him that makes me feel like that. You know, he's, he's just really good at kind of creating safety in a conversation. Yes. Yeah. And and it and it's so much more beneficial and helpful and healthy, and yeah. it keeps a positive sort of empowering at, uh, sort of environment. Um, yeah. The yeah. last thing you want to do is make someone feel disempowered and bad about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that leads into rule six, and rule six is use resilience. Mm. And you know, when I wrote about this in the book, I wanted to be careful with it because. Um, because resilience is easier for some people than others. And if you, if you have advantages in life, you know, if, if you are wealthy, if you're secure in your employment, if you have a big safety network, that you've got lots of friends and you've got lots of family around you, it's very easy not to be troubled by minor problems. Mm. On the other hand, if you don't earn a lot of money if you don't have a lot in reserves, if you don't have a big support network that can really look out for you, then small things are going to upset you more. So while I do believe that personal resilience is important, those of us who are fortunate enough to have support networks also need to be humble to think that the difference between me coping with something and someone else not coping with something is not necessarily all down to me. It's because I've been lucky also. Yeah. Well, so, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of like that um, theory by Maslow, where he's got the pyramid of basic yeah. that you need. You know, you need to f- feel physiologically safe, yes, and all yes. these basic requirements need to be met yeah. before you can yeah. actually feel like you can progress and can grow and become yes. a mature sort of you know person. Yeah. So it, yeah, it and- builds upon all of those things. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that, that that's one of the messages I wanted to try and get across is because, you know, if you are one of the lucky ones and all of those foundation issues on Maslow's hierarchy have been taken care of, then don't judge someone who hasn't, is not in that same position. Use, yeah. yeah use your advantage to help bring them up and uh, yeah. show them yeah. apart. The way through safety yeah don't yeah. use it in a negative way to make yourself feel even you know yeah. more important yeah. than you yeah. may actually be you know yeah. and it also reminds me of the the carl rogers one as well where you've got the the triangle of self your ideal self and your perceived self and you have to have that sort of congruence and harmony within yes. that where you can actually yes. move forward with everything yeah um, yeah yeah, it draws upon all those elements and it fits perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So that's rule six. Rule seven, and this is moving into slightly different terrain, is use rigor. Mm. And, you know, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get this point across because in a lot of the books that I've read about talking, they don't really come to this issue of rigor. And mm. th- 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 there's an amazing book. I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, called uh, sapiens it, it's by um yuval yeah. Noah harari you, you know the one and he's he's got the he's got that chapter on the scientific revolution and he calls it the discovery of ignorance mm-hmm. and when i read that i thought that is amazing i never thought about it that way before that that to be scientific means discovering that you do not know something yeah, yeah 100%. and that is the essence of rigor mm-hmm. is basically not just making stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so often when we end up in arguments, it's because we're just making stuff up, mm-hmm. you know, that I, I might be having an argument about the economy. And in fact, I, I, I invited a few friends around. I thought, you know, what, one of the things I'm interested in is uh, economic inequality. That, that, that's something that kind of fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let me get a couple of friends who've got different points of view let's try and have a conversation about this. And we all just sat there and made stuff up. And it was a completely unsatisfactory conversation yeah. because it lacked rigor. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that's why I wanted to have that rule in there is, and, and I said, when we're talking rigorously, now we are talking numbers. And the thing is, for you as a javelin thrower, mm-hmm. it's very easy for you to say whether you've done better today than someone else. Because yeah. you've got that rigorous measurement. Yeah. I'm a squash player. I go on court. I walk off afterwards. I know whether I've won or lost mm-hmm. because I've got that rigorous measurement. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe I go into a business meeting. I don't really know how it's gone because, you know, I, and, and I want to find a way to make that more rigorous. So I'm trying to assess uh, the performance of an employee, for example. I want to find a way to do that rigorously. So sometimes we need the creative element sometimes we want to have that rigorous element. Yeah, yeah, we need that solid foundation for us to really rip that fact that we can sort of hold on to, to push. Yes, and then build opinions from. 
Yes. yes. I think what I'm hearing there is uh, something that I find really interesting is that, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> I think we're coming back to the ego, about protecting the ego. Right. I find, I find that a lot of people, are, uh, especially the people I work with who are uh, often challenged uh, by various things, it's this anxiety of just protecting the ego that they just find yeah. something to say. And uh, yeah. I think a lot of us do it just generally. It's just it's that fear of being uh, made to feel or just, to just generally feeling that you're either not good enough for this conversation or for this person or for this discussion. So yeah. you just find something to say. So it's, it's that, that anxiety that I think, you, you know, a lot of people who can't be in silence in a room together, they just have to say something because there's anxiety in the air. Yeah. And the only way to get rid of it is just to create some more sounds. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's, create that's sounds. Yeah. Create yeah. Sounds. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to it as well. Like uh, what Winston said, it's like, you know, when people are in a sort of uh, a conversation and and they they're, they're making up stuff and all the rest of it, it's it's for me, it's like a fear response that they don't want to. Like if you produce a fact and then they sort of scurry around it and try to manipulate it to, to their argument, it's kind yeah. of I'm just recognise that as a fear of them taking responsibility that they could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. A fear of saying, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yes. Whereas that's, yes. that's, again, coming back to ego, you want to always appear to be knowledgeable, to be this, that, yeah. and the other. You could be, but you've gone down a path that's not quite right, and you need to have that humility to say, okay, <laughs> I'm not quite right here, you're right, yeah. and let's move on to the next next point. Yeah. And actually accept the lesson that you've learned here. And, I found yeah. a lot and Gavin, you mentioned that fixed and learning mindset, and I, I think that is it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's that's the whole thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that that's rule number seven: use rigor. Rule number eight is use complexity. And you know, th- th- this is something I think this is one of the things human beings are just not that good at. Is human beings like to find a single cause for something, mm-hmm. and they like. To to think that it's either black or white yeah. and, and we just have to, and, and this is where, when it comes to this thing of uh, thinking intuitively, we've got to accept that as human beings, all of us, we're not good at this and we have to force ourselves to see the complexity. Yeah. And I think so often when, when we find ourselves in arguments, it's because we, we've lost the complexity. And complexity makes it so much easier to agree on something. And, you know, if, if I was to play a squash match, for example, and, and you know, and you were watching me and, and I was to, to walk off the court, and I go, I was terrible today. I'm basically giving myself naught out of a hundred. Yeah. And you might go, no, I thought you were quite good. Yeah. You giving me a hundred out of a hundred. Yeah. Now chances are I'm not naught out of a hundred and chances are I'm not a hundred out of a hundred either if we can use complexity or degree, then we might end up a lot closer that you might eventually give me say 63 out of a hundred. I've given myself 48 out of a hundred. That's a lot closer than naught in a hundred. Yeah. And I, I just think that what happens again, is just, uh, it comes down to how we process stuff and how our brain process stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. It goes to the easiest option. It finds yes. the, the, the path of least resistance. Yeah. So yeah. It's very easy to just go straight to an absolute. Yes. Yeah. No. Yes, an absolute. And absolute. and we have to force ourselves to step back from that absolute. Yeah, and we need to see that, as we said, there's different shades of grey. There's lots yeah. of different areas in between where there's elements where you say, for example, you, you didn't sleep well last night. All, all of these things yes. have 
uh, contributed to this particular result. Whereas we kind of just overlook all of that stuff and just go straight to boom. I'm terrible. It's the same where where you yeah. won the competition, Gavin. Where everyone saw this. You know, talking about the complexity, everyone saw the problem is I need to throw harder and faster. And yeah. you kind of took a step back. Yeah. Looked at the situation, and you know, with your experience, found another solution. It's not just about speed. It's not just about power. And you yes. end up winning the competition you say, by four or five meters just by understanding that it's not just based on one thing yeah yeah there's yes. it's a, it's a yes. combination of elements that make us makes up everything there's very few things in the whole universe that are yeah. actually absolute yeah, and i think yeah. a lot of people lose that sight and i think it's in society we're trained to be these decision makers where it's yes or no this or that and yeah. it yeah. kind of contradicts what's actually out there in the natural yeah. world which yeah. is there's a lot even when you pick up a glass of coffee you using your arm da, 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 da. there's a combination of muscles yes, that yes. work together for that particular result it doesn't just land in your mouth <laughs> like a yes or no question yeah yeah <laughs> the only time you realize that is when one of your muscles doesn't work you know due to an injury or something then you realize how much is actually involved you needed that one exactly yeah. so it's just one of the, it's just one of these things where of course everybody knows it when you say it to people they suddenly smile and they're that's like, oh, the funny cool. thing yes but, but we need to be reminded. Yeah, we need that reminding all the time. And we need to be aware of these things and be trained in that way to just, as I said, have that deliberate thought and not just leave everything to reflex. And yeah. just think, yes, no, da, 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 and let the brain sort of run, go crazy with these sort of automated processes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the, 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 that, that's rule eight, complexity. Rule nine is listen. Mm. And... When I started to write this chapter on Rule 9, I, I, you know, I started to do research into listening skills. And listening skills are you know, eye contact, uh, body language, ask questions, and so on. And, and what I thought to myself is, when the talking is easy, the listening is easy. So an example I gave is you know, one of my sons coming home at the end of the day, and they've had a good day. It's easy for me to listen to my son when he's had a good day. And then I do all of the things automatically. I nod and I smile and I ask him questions, blah, blah, blah. The challenge is listening when the talking is difficult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that's really the, the kind of the point of, of rule nine is we got to remind ourselves sometimes to keep listening when, when things get tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a matter of, you know, empathy and compassion. And yeah. knowing that that person needs a bit extra attention possibly uh, to get through that communication and to yeah. bring them back to a state where they are feeling good about themselves. So it's yeah. just the other person to realize that and actually make that little bit more effort with them. And then, you know, you can get back to that easy sort of communication. Yeah. 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 So that's rule nine. And then rule 10 is reach out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm South African. Um, I, I was born in the early 1970s, which meant that I grew up in the 1980s. Um, and that was during the worst of the apartheid era. Mm-hmm. And so that was my upbringing, was an upbringing of separation, of, um, of just really unnatural relationships. Mm-hmm. And this horrible feeling of of feeling like you lived in a society that was not right and was scorned by the world. And, you know, that began to change and, and it was a gradual process. But the one process that I remember very clearly, the one moment that I remember very clearly was 
1995 World Cup. And, you know, there's a movie about this, Invictus, which I've never watched. And I I don't want to watch the movie. And I won't watch the movie because I was there. I was there for the real thing. Yeah. And I don't want my memories of that to be changed. And I mean, it's fine if you're not there, then watch the movie because it's a great movie and it's a great moment. But there's a moment where Nelson Mandela walks out in the, the opening, the opening match of the first match of the world cup. And he walks out in front of 50,000 white people Mm. as a new democratic president of the country. Mm. And in that moment, he is reaching out to people because this is someone who, who personally was in prison for 27 years, mm. but as part of a, a, a group of people who've been subjugated for centuries. And finally, he is in a position of power. And his response to that power is to reach out and forgive. And, you know, I remember that moment of it happening as a young white guy sitting there watching my president reach out to me. And that is a moment that is still moving for me. Yeah. To, to it's moving just hearing about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it really is. It's incredible. It resonates. And, you know, and, and I just think, you know, whatever arguments we've got going on in the world at the moment, and there seem to be a lot. Mm. In South Africa, we had it pretty bad, but yeah. we had amazing people who were prepared to reach out. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I just think we've got to remember that as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, you know, 100%. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really good. So yeah, that's that's the the whole the whole book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, very, the, very it sounds really, really good. Um yeah. so just just going back to to your sort of what you do, have you mm. when applying these things, um yeah. are there any examples of a situation where you've had to use a combination or even all ten of them of a particular athlete? Um, and what's the differences have you noticed between an individual sports person and someone that's part of the team? Does the yeah. team have a massive influence that you find yourself fighting against the team mentality um, to get your message through? Or, you know, what's what's the... Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think when I was working with the cricket team, you know, I, I went across to Delhi and, and it was a challenging situation because um, the, the team that I was working with, they'd come last in the, the league the year before. And they'd done so badly, in fact, they changed the name of the team because they just never wanted to remember, you know. And, and, we, and when I went there, I, th- I was thinking, because I, ha- I worked in cricket before, but I haven't worked in cricket for years. And, and I was thinking working cricket is going to be like working golf. It's going to be quite technical and, um, you know, all about focus. And what I hadn't realized is how much cricketers support each other and how much cricketers rely on each other's support. Mm. Because, um, because it's such a harsh game. You know, you can score 100 or you can score nothing. Mm. And, and they need the emotional support of their teammates in order to do that. So we ended up having some real listening conversations, some real reach out conversations. And 
I was expecting there to be a lot of rigor, like, you know, tell me the, where my foot needs to be and tell me where my hand needs to be. And, you know, for sure there was that, yeah. but I was quite surprised by how much emotional conversation we ended up doing as well. Mm. Um, so I think that's an example of a, a, a team environment. Yeah. Um, and, and then individual sports, you know, to, to be honest, I've, I've not worked a lot in individual sports lately. Mm. Um, I've worked in the business world, you know, a, a fair amount. And, and there, there we tend to have more kind of rigor conversations. Yeah. Um, it's more, look, we've got to make this decision. How do we make this decision? What information do we need? What logic do we need to apply? And then those can get quite technical. And, and that's really interesting. You know, just finding the best way to do something in a in a business environment. Yeah, because um, I think it throws up a, a different element going into the business environment. Because yes, as individuals, they need to prop themselves up quite a bit. So then they need to focus a lot more on the technical aspects because they've got that sort of emotional support, I guess, from themselves. But then they also need yeah. to be plugged into a bigger organization, which is working with other people as a team. Yeah. The end. So yeah, yeah. that dynamics sort of work where you've built themselves up to the point where they feel very confident in what they're doing, but to still maintain a sense of team and not superiority and to, to, you know, to try and yes, give them a better yes. than everybody else. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that, that's, that's a, the, probably the next challenge <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, we, we got to do it at home. Who does the vacuuming? You know, who, who cooks tonight? Who, who stacks a dishwasher? These are conversations we've got to have also. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's probably me most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add um, or any other sort of experience or anything else you want to plug, you know? No, no. I mean, just, just to say thanks. Thanks for having me on, you know, it's really great to just chat. Um, and thanks for talking. Thanks for listening. And, um, you know, we, 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 we chatted, uh, before, but it's nice to have a real conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's really been great having you on. It'd been very, very interesting and said some really, really good stuff. Um, is your book available on Amazon or? Is- yes. So it's, it's available, uh, on Amazon, um, it's launched on the 25th of June. Um, okay. So uh, it's and it's available uh, in a hard copy and it's available on audiobook as well. Okay, great, great, yeah. great. Mm. We'll put the link down below so, so you can find. Oh, great, send, thank send you, me, thank yeah, you. Send me all the yeah. links and everything where we can find you and information. I'll do that. Okay, excellent. I'll do that. The links below. Okay, okay, well, thank you very yeah. much, Jim. It's been oh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, great, great to meet you, Gavin. Nice to talk with nice you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great, great. All right. As well. And it's been the big four, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Great. Bye. Bye. Okay. Okay. Oops. Okay. So, yeah, thanks for that, Tim. No, thank you. Thank you. Really good.